0: Welcome to episode 13 of Talking Shit About with me, your host, Elizabeth, a.k.a. DJ Lizard Breath, a.k.a. Elizabeth. I've got the dog Marty with me in the background. We're currently in Missoula, Montana. Uh, Unfortunately, one of my grandfathers passed away, and so I have come down for his memorial service, and I've also decided to take the opportunity to visit friends and family so it's not you know just a trip for a solemn occasion although it is going to be a celebration of life which I think is great and I'm looking forward to seeing my family and my time here has also been spent doing interviews for the podcast I was inspired to do a series on grief i had been thinking about it for a while And then when my grandpa passed and I realized I would be in Missoula for a while, I put out a call on Facebook for my friends and family to see. And, you know, reached out and said, Hey, if you're interested in talking about grief and loss, like, hit me up. I'm your gal. And I had an overwhelming response. And the one person I had actually reached out to said yes. And that'll be Ferd. Hell yeah, Ferd. Um, But first up we have my friend Amanda and I am very grateful that she did this interview and it's phenomenal and she's extremely vulnerable. So Amanda, thank you again for sharing with us your story. I wanted to let you know that we will be talking about suicide and emotional and physical abuse. So if that's going to be a little too much for you this episode... Then maybe skip this one, um, but it is it is good and you know there's not that much detail, but I just want you to be aware. Uh, Marty also barks at about six minutes in. It's very loud, so heads up for that. There's also some background noise with the AC because it was hot as fuck, um, but that shuts off about seven minutes in. So don't stress, just hold on and it'll be worth it. So with oh actually one more thing. Before you listen to this episode, pause it, go to the show notes, and click the links to go look at Amanda's art, because you, I think you'll get a lot more from it this episode if you see the artwork visually, not just her descriptions. Um, plus, you should just check out her art anyways. Uh, you can do that at amandabar.com or on Instagram at MBar. and again, I'll have links to those in the show notes, so... Without further ado, let's talk some shit. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> we're taking a
2: squeak. That's
0: fine. Um, I am here today in my first in-person interview for the podcast with my friend Amanda Barr. Are you cool with using your last name? Yeah. Cool. Um, and Marty, and we're in Missoula visiting. Amanda's the third KBGA alum I've had on the show, and she has many degrees and credentials, and I'm going to let her list them off. So Amanda, welcome.
2: Hello. It's nice to see you.
0: Yeah, I know. it's It's
2: been a while. It's been a little bit. It's been a pandemic. Yeah. That's a whole uh, thing. <laughs> so yeah, hi. I'm Amanda. I, I do have many, many degrees. I was, I might be obsessed with collecting degrees at this point. Um, I, I have a BA in Spanish. I have a Master's in Modern Languages and Linguistics, focused in Spanish. And now I have an MFA in Studio Art and an MA in Art History. Those are my most recent two. So I've lived a couple of lives Mm -hmm. Was a Spanish teacher at Community College for a while. Um, I've been a studio artist since 2009, in ceramics mostly. And um, I've worked in museums and galleries and at a radio station. I was a vet tech for a hot minute <laughs> right out of high school, did a pharmacy tech. Um, a lot of random side jobs you do when you uh, are an artist. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been a web designer and I still freelance on that. I write, I run a couple nonprofits.
0: What kind of stuff do you write?
2: Uh, mostly I write about things related to ceramics but um, if someone approaches me with a project I write whatever um, I I did a lot of articles for a book that I also copy edited and published through blurb um, that was on endangered species cool that another artist was making urns for all of the native species uh, endangered species that were native to her home in New England, mm-hmm. and so I wrote essays on those endangered species. Oh, cool. So I, I've been a scientific writer.
0: <laughs> when, um, tell us about your art and your mediums.
2: Uh, so primarily, obviously, um, clay, ceramic. Um, I started out as a potter mm-hmm. uh, full-time and then got into more sculptural art when I went um, back to school. Um, I finished my first gr- graduate degree in 2008, and then I went back in 2015 to do a post back, which is a little bit like a fifth year, but for no degree. It's a certificate. Um, and I started doing more sculptural type of work there. And I, when I got into grad school for the second time here in Montana, I went kind of full on with the sculpture. And even kind of my pottery had a lot of surface design and a lot of that was from my emotions. Like I had a whole series that was just um, cloudy gray skies, storms. Um, Occasionally there'd be like a little rainbow in the design, but a lot of it was storm clouds and umbrellas and Um, It was about depression and all of that. Um,
0: Do you want to elaborate on the series?
2: um, Yeah, I started that series around the same time that my ex-husband left me for my maid of honor. Oh, God. (laughs) I've had that toy for like 15 years, so if it gets destroyed, (laughs) it's lived a good life.
0: Marty's playing with cat toys right now. She's having a great time. (laughs)
2: <laughs> what what
1: do you want do?
2: so those were mostly like we're talking mugs and bowls and vases um, with this pattern like I would you know do a grey kind of almost watercolor-ish just loops and cloud looking things and then I would I Print it on clay with like an underglaze color, and I would print these. <laughs> you
0: Marty wants to be in on the interview. Marty, wait your
2: turn. Marty's like it's very sad. It was very, it was a very sad time. Um, I would print these um kind of deco clouds in different shapes and colors, and then I had a a sewing tool that I would dip into the ink mm-hmm. and it would create these kind of linear rain patterns. Mm -hmm. And that was like my major design for probably a decade. And I was just making pottery to sell. That's cool. Um, And some people were like, oh, these are so, it's such a cute design. It's so beautiful. And I would just smile and be like, this is my abject depression.
0: What were you thinking this is kind of a weird, vague question, but, like, what was your process, like, creating those, like, <coughs> emotionally for you? Like, did you find it was, like, therapeutic, or
2: yeah, it, like, hard to do? Uh, well, it was, you know, some some of the things that I would make, I would make them simply because they would sell. So, at the time, like, vintage-looking owls and foxes were really big. Mm-hmm. Um, this is around 2012, yeah, 2013. Yeah, about right. And... Those pieces, I would I would make in, like, bright colors, like oranges and that mustard yellow that was really huge. Um, and I would print... And those wouldn't have a lot of intricacy in the decoration. It would just be, like, pops of color and, like, the animal. And they were still popular. They still sold a lot. Um, but those were the ones where I would just sit at my work table and just sort of make them Uh but when i did anything with my kind of cloudy skies series they got so much extra attention and so much extra detail because like i was painting my feelings (laughs) essentially Um, and when i went and started to go into sculpture i leaned way more into that Um, and i started to make the first sculptures i did were actually still pots they were larger pots they were like big punch bowls and stuff but um i made them in a way and i would kind of poke holes in them and stuff so that when they fired they would like get these huge cracks and they would fall over Mm
1: -hmm.
2: um and they would just get complete they were porcelain they were this really like perfectly like thrown like the the artistry was all there and then I like they would purposefully be destroyed.
0: That's really cool.
2: Um and people were like that, that's just exquisitely beautiful. And I'm like Yeah. It looks nice on the outside, but it's complete like it's destroyed from its function. Mm-hmm. Like it's torn apart. And you know, I can put on a smile like a normal you know normal person um, but like inside I am pretty broken
1: <laughs> yeah
2: I've been through a lot um, so that's when I started really being much more like directly representational in my work mm-hmm. and that's continued well that was my my actual my thesis my MFA thesis was called lost in translation um, and it was text in neon. I learned to be neon for my thesis. Yeah, those are so cool. And they're like up here in my house. Yeah, and they're um, gorgeous. And each one is a different word in a different language. And it's just one single word.
0: So what's this one over here, this yellow one? The yellow
2: one is beschämt, which is German for ashamed. Mm-hmm. And that's just the neon over there. But it was surrounded by a frame of ceramic pieces that were actual flowers that I collected and thistles and a bunch of stuff that I dipped in clay and fired out that were like sharp objects. And they, because flowers are so delicate, like you can dip them in clay and fire it. But once the flower falls out, or burns out, you're left with this really thin kind of shell of Mm -hmm. the object. So it's really fragile. And so it was just crumbling. And there was really the point is like this frame, framework for the word was just um, barely holding together. But it had like what looked like flowers and what looked like spiky, thorny things, which were thistles that I collected from this mm. empty lot right next door to my apartment. <laughs> and my hands got torn up so bad making that work. And that piece was actually made about um my mother Mm -hmm. um and right before the pandemic i'd gone home to visit my family and it's it's very hard for me to go home and i don't really talk to my family a lot Mm -hmm. um i had a lot of trauma growing up childhood trauma Mm -hmm. abandonment issues like you name it um and i didn't make a chicken dinner one night that I was home mm-hmm. and when my mom got home she was super mad at screaming at me and then yelled like she got up on the couch and was jumping like Tom Cruise but she was like jumping up and down yelling I'm ashamed to have raised you as a daughter
0: oh my god
2: and my dad is sitting in his recliner reading a newspaper like no reaction
0: it's like the dad Ted from Stranger Things. Yeah, it's just,
2: it's just like so normal for her to do this that he's just like, whatever. But I'm like, are you? Okay, one, I'm 38. I'm a guest here at this point.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. You've refused to let me use the car to drive to see some friends in, because we're in the middle of the country, Mm -hmm. like on a farm. I can't go anywhere without a vehicle
1: mm-hmm.
2: I was gonna go down to Kansas City to see some friends who had a there was an art show up that I really wanted to see and my mom was like well what well, the roads aren't very nice it's snowing we don't we don't want you driving
1: mm-hmm.
2: like y'all I'm I'm live in Montana now <laughs> <laughs> I'm an adult enough that I can drive in snow seems- in fact I do it Every day where I live. Yeah, um,
0: it seems like there's, like, a control thing going yeah, on. Yeah, it's,
2: but only when I'm there. Hmm. But it's, like, very regressive, too. Like, suddenly I'm 16. But it was the expectation of, like, I should have known that she wanted me to make her dinner.
0: Yeah, you can't read minds.
2: No. Especially not if you're autistic. <laughs> <laughs> Which my mother won't admit. Mm. Um, that's another thing is she like um, is a pharmacist but I have to be lying about all my medical things she's like well that's I never knew about that like that was never diagnosed when you were I'm like I haven't lived at home for over 20 years now maybe some things have changed so yes uh, that was the last time I've seen my parents mm-hmm. um, she tried to kick me out of the house that night
0: oh Well, you forgot to cook the chicken dinner, so. Over some
2: chicken. Um, And I had my two cats that were, they were like four months old at the time with me. And she was like, no, you're going to go to the airport and you're just going to wait there until your flight in a day and a half. (laughs) Like, no, I'm not going to, like, I could do that if it were just me, but I have two small creatures. Yeah. Counting on me. Yeah. So no, and so that I went to bed, and she stormed up into my room at seven a.m., screamed at me again, slammed the door, and she did that four or five times. Oh my god! And I'm just, just like, okay, look, <laughs> if i already decided I'm done. You don't have to keep reiterating it
1: mm-hmm.
2: because I'm ashamed to have raised you as a daughter. Is a lot. And it was actually the first um, piece that I thought of for this, for that exhibit, because it was just, like, I couldn't get it out of my head.
0: Yeah, that's a lot to deal with.
2: Yeah. And not the first, like, big moment of my mother saying something that's just, like, shoving a knife in you. Like I said, my ex-husband left me for my maid of honor, and my parents came up to help me move out of my townhouse um, that we had, and... (laughs) My mom was upset at like things that we owned. I was like, Well I'm just not putting it, business. I'm putting this this stuff is all in a box and you're taking it out of a box and criticizing it. And I kept telling like stop you're not helping. That's done. And I don't need the commentary.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like, why do you own this? Why do you own that? And so she blew up and she's like, Well, if you're this much of a bitch, no wonder he left you. Oh
0: my god. <laughs> what did that feel like at the time when she said that
2: I mean I'd been out of the ICU for probably only three or four weeks at the time from a suicide attempt Mm
1: -hmm.
2: when he had told me that like he had to cheat because I was a bad wife and wasn't able to give him what he needed because I'd just broken my back and that he didn't deserve a disabled wife.
0: What an asshole.
2: Cuz he was going to be an aerospace engineer. He deserved better. And also like only losers do art. Everyone knows that if you can't hack anything else in college, you go to art school. And I'm like N- uh, but I I I'm doing art on the side and I'm being successful with it. Like I'm in galleries and I didn't go to art school. I have a master's in modern languages. He's like, you, you could never do aerospace engineering. And I'm like, sure I could. I just chose not to because it seems boring. And I, I can do math fine, though. Like, you're just a dick.
0: Yeah. He sounds like an asshole.
2: Oh, yeah. 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 Turns out. Total ass. When he told me he didn't deserve a disabled wife, mm-hmm. it was really funny because he has Tourette's. So, um, it's, it's mostly this head tit where he looks like a bobblehead. head. Mm-hmm. So, and this doesn't translate well on a podcast, but his head was twitching yeah. the whole time. He said, I don't deserve a disabled wife. And I just am like, I'm sorry. Can you see yourself? How ridiculous. He's such a
0: disconnect.
2: Yeah. Huge disconnect.
0: Huge. How old were you guys when you got married? 24. Okay.
2: Do not, do not advise. <laughs> also, we I'm only got married. We only got married because at the time we were just living together. At the time, my mother kept calling and telling me I was the reason that she was going to hell because she'd raised a whore for a daughter. Jesus. So I don't know. Maybe I should have figured it out sooner that if I just didn't talk to her, things would be better. But I don't know. Yeah. That's it's difficult. Also, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, it's difficult also because, as a disabled person, like I've had epilepsy my whole life, and until, the, and this was later, uh, until the Affordable Care Act, could not get insurance. So the only way I could like get around that loophole was have my parents pay for the same insurance I've had my whole life what I was on since I was a kid. Um, so they were paying for my health insurance and asking me, like, What are you gonna be an adult and have your own health insurance? I'm like, when, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't really work in a way that works for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that you think that there are certain parameters around adulthood, but there are also kind of some exceptions to who that works for.
0: Yeah. And it's like the world is not the same as when you were, like, or they were your age. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this, it's totally different. Like, yeah. you can't have standards for your children that are the same as your childhood because it's not going to be the same. And, like, being even being an adult beyond childhood, like, it's, well, it's not the same.
2: You can't have the same standards for both your children when you treat them differently. Like, they paid for my brother's college. Huh. They took out loans for him.
0: What did he go to school for?
2: Uh, history. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And I I was always told, like, no, you're going to have to pay your... So I worked, like, 40 hours a week through high school, 90 hours in the summer, and worked 40 to 50 hours a week all through college. My brother didn't work ever.
0: Is he older or younger? Younger. Okay
2: and he now has like a wife and a kid and they own a house and all these things and I'm like do you maybe see why these two situations might be different maybe he had a little easier start
0: mhm uh-huh. it's amazing what some like positive reinforcement can do and like a little stability which it sounds like there was not for you
2: not really no yeah so and also like I did end up in a lot of abusive relationships, which, you know, when it's all you know, when my entire relationship with my really my mother, because my dad's a very quiet person. So, but it's just like criticism, criticism, criticism. And I got to watch my brother, who was not as good at school as me, be like, You gotta see in math? You get a party or a cake or we're giving you money. Hmm. And I was like, I got an A minus. You're you're grounded. You're punished, because we know you can do better. I'm like, excuse me, but I did get all A's. I'm on the honor roll. Yeah, I got one slightly lower grade, but I'm also working a full time job. I'm in quiz bowl. I'm I'm in the school play. I I'm in <laughs> band, in marching band, and choir. And he doesn't have any extracurriculars.
0: The extracurriculars are, like, key on resumes and shit.
2: Yeah. I guess that's... A big experience of loss has been, like, family, my marriage, uh, my entire friend group, who, when I was hospitalized after my ex-husband was like, you don't even deserve to live, you're such crap. Like, I... Well, I was pretty broken. I, I was in a severe depression because for the first time, I physically couldn't do anything. I had a broken spine. Mm-hmm. And then him telling me that, like, that made me a bad wife and was the reason he had to cheat. And also, I was treating him as my slave because he had to take out the trash and do the dishes.
0: Dude, my abusive ex was the same way. and whenever I say my ex, I'm always referring to this one person like everyone else I'm like, oh my friend or like this kid I dated in high school. Oh yeah, I have like co- modifiifierers. college yeah.
2: boyfriend, my ex-husband, and my ex the ex. my ex, the reason that I moved from Iowa to Seattle because he was stalking me <laughs> And I couldn't do anything safe. Yeah, that guy. That guy who, my name's Amanda Barr, a little while after I moved to Seattle, he married a woman named Amanda Marr, <laughs> who could be my sister, and she didn't see any, any any difficulty with that, like any red flags, and I'm like, all right, huh. you crazy, but, and I mean, I've been in the psych ward, but you crazy.
0: Yeah, different breed of crazy.
2: That is, whew, Okay. <laughs> that's that's not my circus anymore.
0: Yeah, not your problem.
2: Don't care, but holy shit. (laughs) One letter off of my name.
0: Yeah, that is so bizarre.
2: And many people pointed it out to her. Like, Mm -hmm. she's like, but he has Jesus now. They go to church together. Oh,
0: good. (laughs) I'm like,
2: yeah, he's not a manipulator at all and would never do that.
0: Was religion a thing in your household ever?
2: Uh, yeah, I was raised uh, in the Methodist church, but my mom's family was Quaker. Huh. Which is so weird because...
0: I would not have guessed that one.
2: No, um, I would always be, like, threatened with, you're going to have to tell your grandmother about this and she's going to be so embarrassed. And my, <laughs> over time I find out that my mother's parents are... Like some of the OG hippies. Um, like, my grandfather was a nudist and he was in jail for 18 months as a conscientious objector, both for like the end of World War II, um, and he finally went to like be a nurse as they were like liberating camps and stuff. Uh-huh. And then again during Korea, the Korean War.
0: Damn.
2: He also went to jail as a conscientious objector because he's like no it says it says thou shall not kill i will not participate even as a nurse in a conflict Mm -hmm. in a war and i came home once with pink hair and my mom was just like "Ah." my grandma was like i like that color
0: (laughs) that's so weird so you got along well with your grandparents
2: yeah which is the weird thing like She was so, like, my grandma was so ashamed when I got divorced that she didn't tell anybody. And the next time I came home was for a funeral. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And it's, oh, to be at, one, it was my 18-year-old cousin who had been in a car accident. Mm -hmm. To be at that kind of funeral and have people being like, well, where's your husband? (laughs) Like, with another woman. (laughs) We're divorced. And they're like, well, your mom didn't say anything. Yeah, super awkward. It's Like, gee, that could have... She was ashamed. And I'm like, would you prefer I had, like, not signed into the papers? Yeah, like, like, what are
0: you supposed to do?
2: He literally, like, the night that he came and cleared out all his stuff and then told me to go kill myself, he dumped me in the ICU as a Jane Doe, and I was there for three days before anyone knew who I was. What was I supposed to do? <laughs> like,
0: she should be pissed at him.
2: Yeah, no, yeah. she was pissed at me because I made him do it. It was my fault. I oh, should have known better than to marry. Over, the, <laughs> it's, I should have known better than to marry him. Well, then why uh, are you
0: getting pissed about the divorce?
2: They like she knew before, like before we even got married, that it was a terrible idea, and I'm like, okay, you never said anything. <laughs> All of the logic is just blame me. It must be my fault somehow. But, like, could you not have given people a heads up before I show up to a funeral and have to announce to everyone I'm divorced? (laughs) That's not the right place to do it.
0: Yeah.
2: Oh, that was so awkward.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) It's terrible. So, I I don't even, like, that's been, like, a loss that I felt for, like, my whole life. Mm Mm-hmm. Like I knew I didn't have approval, or like I would come home from college for the summer, and it wouldn't be like, "Hey, welcome home." It would be like, "You got fat." Yes, I'm on a new seizure drug, and you're my pharmacist, so you do know that Depakote is also known as Depa Bloat <laughs> because it makes you gain a lot of weight.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, maybe but you're not having
0: seizures. I was still having
2: seizures. Oh, okay. It I, I finally switched to another medication that fixed everything. But gave me dry mouth.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, but it was like, you're my pharmacist. Mm-hmm. And you know what meds I'm on. And you know the side effects of those. So why are you fat shaming me?
0: And it's like, I see myself every day. Like, I know what I look like. I don't need your input. You know? Yeah. And, like
2: it's like, and you know it's not my fault. Yeah. <laughs> you know it's because of this medication. Like, what is wrong with you?
0: Yeah.
2: Like, she'd come over and, like, grab my little Jesus. fat roll and be like, you got fat. You shouldn't get fat. You won't find a rich husband that way. And I'm like, that's not my life goal. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> and my brother also got pretty chubby at college, and I don't recall her ever saying that to him. (laughs) So, huh? standards.
0: Yeah. Ass backwards.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I I say this a lot, but, like, he can't change the battery in a smoke alarm. (laughs) Literally, they they still live um, like 45 minutes from my parents. Mm -hmm. My parents have to go down, like, constantly... To do things like change light bulbs, oh my gosh, <laughs> and alarms and smoke detectors, and then one year, I think my mom told me that my dad was really sad because I didn't call him anymore for help doing things like changing tires or fixing my dishwasher or my sink, and I'm like, it's because I can do them on my own, yeah, because I'm a then he functional should offer to adult. Help.
0: I don't know, yeah.
2: I'm like, I'm sorry I don't need his help. I, I'm i sorry that I learned so well as a child unlike my brother that I am capable of problem solving and able to do it.
0: Your dad should volunteer for Habitat for Humanity
2: doing home repairs. Right? Yeah. I mean, he kind of does. Like, he's he has a construction business in the town. Gotcha. And, uh, he mostly does it for the church. And they've gone on some mission trips where he's done construction things. Including Africa. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, there there's classic there's not houses in your own area code. Yeah. That could use it. That's fine. They got to go to Niagara Falls. Ooh. Or no not Victoria Falls. Where's that? Zimbabwe? Ah. Cool. They zip lined. <laughs>
1: Ooh that like, sounds pretty cool okay <laughs>
2: missionary tourism got it
0: yeah volunteerism
2: yeah it's like <laughs> no 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 that's just like racist tourism <laughs> don't yeah. do it um, not to say i i did go on some mission trips mm-hmm. but i was not of the age of consent so really i was signed up for them
0: yeah where did you go
2: A few of them were in the U.S., like Tennessee. There's one in, like, North Dakota. Uh, And, like, when I just turned 18, I didn't go to Africa. How was that? Well, I learned things. Yeah? Like, I learned... I mean, it had an impact on me in a way that I think has at least changed me and not in the manner that they'd hoped it would, (laughs) like, to be all about God and mission. Mm -hmm. It was mostly, like, why did people spend so much money to send a bunch of teenagers over in a choir Mm -hmm. to just, like, go to these villages, make them host us, when they barely have enough food for themselves, but then they had to feed us, and we sang for them. That's nice. I was like, this is shitty. That's
0: like Scientologists like they have like disaster response but then all they do is just hand out like Scientology books.
2: Yeah. Um I at least um had I was living out of my travel like carry-on suitcase mm-hmm. and had my two big suitcases filled with like hygiene products and like medications and things that um, were actually needed and not just like carry-on big suitcases full of clothes. Mm-hmm. So I wore the same like three outfits for the entire trip.
0: How long was it?
2: We were there. We were uh, over there for a couple months. Oh wow. We also went on safari. <laughs> Ooh. In Kruger Park, which was I was like, oh wow. This is this is some white kid shit. <laughs> <laughs> this is weird. But um no, I did bring over stuff that was also there were some um a family in the church there that was very good friends with my mom because my mom has been going there since 1994. Huh. Like every other year. Since I was born. Yeah. And so she, I think, I don't know, that might be a thing too because like she would just leave for the whole summer every few years. I'm like, huh. oh, okay. <laughs> we really love those people in Africa. Abandon us. <laughs> Whatever.
0: Was there ever a point where you like realized or like have you been able to come to terms with like that's not what a healthy household is or did you always kind of feel something was wrong?
2: I mean there were several points where I was like this isn't right. A lot of those times were when my brother was like trying to kill me. He had what wasn't diagnosed back then but it's called intermittent explosive disorder.
0: Oh I don't, I've never heard of that, but I don't like the sound.
2: Uh, it usually happens with young males and is a puberty thing. But, like, I probably had 30 concussions before I was 18 because he would throw, like, rocks at my head. He would hit me with baseball bats. Jesus. There was a couple of inc- incidents with butcher knives. I, I learned how to uh, fight for my life when I was young. Because he, like, would just... Uh, my I'm getting my septum fixed, finally, in a couple of months. Because um, he hit me in the face. So, like, I'd be, you know, using the computer or something. And he decided he'd wanted to use it. So he'd come over and just slug me in the face. And so my nose has been, like, permanently broken for 20-some years. And I... I get allergies really bad, and then I get infections because nothing can drain. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> my nose is broken. So I'm finally getting that fixed, actually. Here, I'm getting a, a little surgery Yay. to fix it. <laughs> but like, it was just a thing. Like My brother would routinely try to kill me in unexpected ways. And it was really mostly when I got to college... And was around other people that, you know, people would talk about their home life and I would say something that I thought was funny or something and people would be like, uh, what the hell? That is, that is abuse. (laughs) That is not normal. And their reactions would make me go, huh? but I knew a little bit when I I was in like seventh grade, I had a friend whose house I would go over to Mm -hmm. and the dynamic there was so different. I was smart enough to know that like, "Mm, yeah. And I was smart enough to know not to bring other kids over to my house Mm -hmm. because my mom would have a fit or my, my brother would have a fit because my mom would just go off. It's like, she didn't care if there were people like guests over she would just like oh my dad wasn't helping with dinner or something that she just expected him to do didn't ask Mm -hmm. um and like suddenly a pan of spaghetti just went flying against the wall and they're screaming and slamming doors and i whatever friend i had over i'd be like you can go home now sorry it's so rough. So they just, like, stopped having people over. Mm-hmm. Just kind of stopped having friends. Was like, cause it's the, like, it's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. And it's not safe. So I did figure out how I could climb out of my bedroom window mm-hmm. and just, like, run off. <laughs> Thought about running away a lot, but, again, middle of the country. Where do you go? Like, there's nothing. <laughs> uh, this was in Iowa, right? My parents live in Missouri, but it's just just south of Iowa. They're really close. Yeah,
0: nothing out there.
2: Nothing out there. The rest of my family is pretty much as dysfunctional. I mean, I never knew, like, if I looked at someone wrong. Because I was also very just like, that's not fair. That's not, like, that's child abuse. Or, like, if I said anything that was like, why do I have to... Help cook and clean and do everyone's laundry, and he gets to play video games.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And they'd be like, Don't ask questions, or like I'd get smacked, or like picked up by the hair and thrown against a wall. Like, it's like, Oh, yeah, that's not normal, but I know it now, mm-hmm. and I know other people who've had similar homes, and I it took me a long time to disconnect from them because I just needed the financial support but I also realized it came with a lot of strings and a lot of guilt so much guilt and that it was healthier when I just you know limited communication and limited contact and I was just happier because I didn't have to worry about like making up some lie for why I couldn't visit or Like, when the first year of COVID was over and, like, we'd had, like, the holidays and people were really upset about not being able to see their family, I was like, this is the best thing that has happened (laughs) in my life because I didn't have to make up lies or excuses about why I couldn't come home for Christmas Mm
1: -hmm.
2: or wasn't going to travel and wasn't going to let anyone travel to see me because no one could yeah this was fantastic and i'm like that was the most joyful part like it was joyful part of covid and i realized like that's that's messed up
0: everything's fucked right now whatever whatever gets you through it it's
2: like okay i i've gotta say covid had a plus side yeah didn't have to see my family because even like the last time i saw them i'd asked like I didn't want to interact with my brother because mm-hmm. if the last time I'd seen him and some stuff went I don't know. down. he seems
0: pretty level-headed and chill.
2: Yeah. He's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it's been worse since they had a kid. Oh, no. Because his wife is also, like, very neurotic, very OCD and very, she's a project manager so she's very controlling mm-hmm. in a lot of ways and just having a kid amp that up to a million and I just can't I can't. And I I'd asked like I was like, I have one boundary. Don't try to force it. And of course I come down for lunch one day and my brother and sister in law are there and I'm like, Boundaries exist for a reason
0: Yeah. I asked this one thing.
2: I asked one thing. So yeah. It's uh it's a process too, like it was Father's Day the other day and I was sad but it wasn't sad because I wasn't talking to my dad it was sad because other people seem to have such good relationships with their families I'm mm-hmm. like I wonder what that must feel like I have no idea I just got chills not just because of the AC but yeah yeah like I just I don't have that kind of comprehension like I don't know what that would be like and i'm sad for myself because i don't experience that i mean like sure we had good times i have some good memories but doesn't over it doesn't like cancel out all the trauma so i'm like okay so this will just be a weird kind of sad and I mentioned it to my therapist the other day, and he's like, "Yeah, that makes sense. I'm sure, a lot of people feel that on days like this. I'm like, I'm sure they do. I just it like most of the time I didn't pay attention to it, but this year I just happened to see. As I get older, more people's parents have passed away, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I see them memorializing like,
0: oh yeah, I'm one of them. <laughs>
2: their parents on that pay on on the social media, and I'm like, I wonder what. I'll, I, yeah, I don't really have any feelings about that like, I've sort of just, like, shed them Like, I'm not even mad anymore It made a really, like, my mom saying she was ashamed of me Made a really great art piece Yeah,
0: it's gorgeous
2: And, like, people really responded well to it And it was <laughs> truly, like, great Like, yeah, it came from my soul And I'm really proud of it And I'm not, like, it doesn't hurt anymore. Like, because it just, like, burst out like an alien. And is now it's just gone. It's like, it's in the world, but I'm fine with it now. It's been several years since it happened, and I've talked about it a lot. Had to write about it in my thesis. I've sat here, like, looking at it. It's in my living room now. Mm -hmm. And it's such a bright, cheery yellow. Mm -hmm. Like, you know. Yeah. I I'll link
0: pictures in the show notes so people can see.
2: I think that's part of why I have been so attached to art and have like pushed so much into this sculpture um, because it's it's so much. I mean, making those little cloud cups and and mugs and bases was nice, but they didn't have the impact on the viewer. The way that the sculptural work does Mm -hmm. Um, and that is so it's cathartic for me and it's cathartic for other people and that's been like super like that's my therapy (laughs) I mean I still go to therapy but Mm -hmm. seeing the way that art has connected with people has been kind of the biggest way that I've like self self-healed or, you know, self-therapized because, and, and it's oh such a, there's a lot of process that goes into it, so like you also, you live with it in your studio for a long time mm-hmm. um, and it, it with the neon, I burn the shit out of my hands <laughs> on every piece so it's like it keeps like re-traumatizing you <laughs> in a way yeah. but you're not thinking about Like the concept while you're just trying to physically get it to do the thing. Um,
0: Which is good to like get out of your own head, too. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Because, you know, you conceptualize the the idea, the piece, like I I draw it out, and then I just do the labor of making it, which is like very little thinking, just like making it actually come to fruition. (laughs) And by that point, like I've lived with it so long, like in my studio in my head and my drawings and my writings that it's like it's it's been so over processed that it has no meaning (laughs) which is a really a great way to
0: that sounds very therapeutic
2: yeah Yeah. and i don't know like not everyone can be fortunate enough to like have that the kind of well time and energy and talent i guess to be that kind of artist Mm -hmm but like even just like consuming the art just like looking at it interacting with it is great when i see other people's work that moves me like that it's it stays in my head and i think fuels me into like oh i can make something for myself that deals with that but it'll be in my way but it can kind of pull those feelings out too So it's a, it's not a glamorous life to be an artist because you are always poor. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I think it does. I don't think I'd still be alive if I didn't have art. You know, after I came out of the hospital from, from my suicide attempt, I like threw myself into my studio and just made and made and made. And processed a lot through the making and you know i i was in an incident of gun violence in like 2012 and i took that into the studio and made work from it and that was insanely helpful rather than just like sit and ruminate on it and be terrified so i don't know i i need to get off my couch here in a few days or so and get back in the studio and process some new drama. Yeah! So, yeah. That's my that's my journey.
0: Thank you for sharing. You've been through so much shit, dude. Holy
2: fuck. Oh my god. Like, yeah. <laughs> there are definitely times where I'm like how d- am I still alive? Yeah. Like I, so much abuse and then like I've been in a shooting and my stocky ex would occasionally like actually try to like strangle me to death i'm like how how did i make it this far fuck (laughs) that doesn't even count all of the like medical things where i'm like oh yeah my kidney almost exploded once and i have a degenerative disease and my lungs are crap and there's a pandemic and I'm just like, okay, I'm the energizer bunny here. (laughs) Got to just keep going.
0: All right, I've got one last question for you, and then I have to repeat really bad. Okay. What advice would you give to your younger self? Or, like, when you were feeling your lowest, if you could go back in time and talk to yourself,
2: what would you say? Don't listen to others when seeking value. You don't need external validation from everyone. Not everyone is going to find you their cup of tea. Mm -hmm. Because it's not that you're a problem. You're not the disruptor. You are the truth teller. And people cannot handle facing their own flaws that doesn't mean that you don't have value it means that they are too flawed to comprehend your value
0: one of the things i appreciate about you appreciate about you a lot i'm fucking up the sentence um (laughs) embarrassing is yeah your honesty and your willingness to like speak up i don't know it's something i admire in you a lot And I know you said you don't need external validation, but I'm giving it to you. You're an amazing artist. You're awesome. And I'm truly honored to consider you a friend.
2: Yeah, thank you. Uh, Yeah, it's it's finding people who do see that value. Because a lot of people are going to run away from someone who tells the truth. uh, Because it scares them. It makes them face their own... Insecurities and their own desire to just be safe Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and maintain like how things are because it is safe. Not everyone is gonna get why someone would want to disrupt that, yeah, and they are going to hate you for it, but they really hate themselves. Um, they just project it onto you, but like, there are people who are going to appreciate. You're fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're absolute like no shits given need for honesty and transparency. And and I just literally like I can't not say something. Mm-hmm. It just like an inherent inability to stay silent. Uh, but there are people out there who will see that as a good thing, mm-hmm. find those people and raise hell. Yeah. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> because, like, if, you know, you look, you can make change. Like, my high school mascot is no longer, it's still a little racist. It, I mean, the word is racist, but um, the iconography is not. Mm-hmm. They were forced to change.
0: And you played a big part in that.
2: I I was the loudest and like the early I made myself into the bad guy
1: mm-hmm.
2: so that they would hate me and then cause you know white people caused the problem in the first place it should be a white person's job to fix it mm-hmm. so I I started the fire and then I let them like immolate me completely <laughs> like I became the bad guy in that story um, and then um, the local natives um, the Kickapoo tribe came in and you know did the soft negotiation where they were like well yes mm-hmm. <laughs> this is really bad and we don't approve and what makes us feel bad and they were accepted with almost open arms because everyone hated the way i did it so much mm-hmm. that anyone coming in with a softer message <laughs> was going to be embraced and it's just such an interesting strategy <laughs> to um to be the loud angry person mm-hmm. who like d- like cuts the first stone open
0: you have to somebody has to somebody do it somebody has to
2: do it somebody has to kick the door open and you will be vilified for it, even though you are totally right. But then ne- the next person can get in there and be like, well... <laughs> and negotiate it. Mm-hmm. And then then the change happens. But, you know, going in that door first... You're probably going to get shot. <laughs> like, I mean, I I had death threats and I... They one in person was like, We should make the new mascot her head on a stick.
0: Oh. That's very grown up. Yeah. Like what the fuck? Like
2: I mean they actually someone has a hit out on me. Like if I come back they they're willing to pay like five thousand dollars for my head.
1: I don't
0: need, I can't compromise. Over a high this. school mascot. A high school mascot that is so fucked.
2: It is, but I mean, I would rather have the target be me, the white girl, mm-hmm. than any one of the indigenous people who, who deal with, like, constant racism all the time. Mm-hmm. I can take that hit. I the death threats were up quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was it,
0: extreme. It it was Jesus Christ. pretty
2: traumatic at the time, but yeah. it got done, mm-hmm. which was amazing. You can okay. go pee now if you need. <laughs> okay.
0: Yes. We're concluding interview so I can pee. Amanda, I appreciate you being so open and vulnerable, and I appreciate you.
2: I appreciate you. Thanks.
0: That's a wrap for episode 13 of Talking Shit About, and our first episode on our grief series. Thank you again, Amanda, for doing this interview, and thank you so much for listening. It's a year of Talking Shit About, and I have been emotionally overwhelmed in the best way with the response and the listens so thank you and especially thank you if you've gotten the opportunity to give it a rating or subscribe those things help boost me up on the charts and all of that jazz not that that's my priority with this podcast but I think the guests have a lot to offer and I know I have learned a lot since starting this a year ago and I just want to spread the word of all of the work that my guests have been doing because it's good work I'm sorry Marty's looking herself right now but I'm tired of doing takes so anyways we will see you again for part two of talking shit about grief and I hope you are doing well and I love you lots bye